It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. And welcome back to the Phileas Club. In this show, what we do is that we get people from different parts of the world. We bring them together around a what I like to think of as a, a coffee table where friends meet to chat about what's been happening in their countries. And uh, that's what we do every month or so. Hopefully you enjoy listening to it because we enjoy doing it. And uh, today we have two Wonderful guests. I mean, one, to be honest, I know I've already done a couple of shows with, so I know he's wonderful. And the other one, judging by the picture on his website, oh my Lord, we're not worthy of having him on the show. He's way <laughs> too too professional <laughs> for us. Uh, so I'm Patrick Beja. I'm from France originally, and I live in Finland, where it's very cold right now, uh, minus uh, 15 degrees or so, and the well froze two nights ago. It froze. We didn't have water in the house because I, I live in the countryside. Um, but that's me. The guest that I know already is Alessandro, who's coming, uh, from, coming to us from Italy. How's it going, Alessandro? You, you have to unmute yourself. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know. I know. I, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm doing good, thank you. Thanks for being on again. Um, as I was mentioning before we, we started recording, Alessandro has been on the show a couple of times before, and the first time was, God, almost two years ago. Almost, not quite. Uh, not but, quite. Yeah, but but to talk about just, it, COVID. It, it was just at, uh, sorry, it was just at the, at the start of the pandemic, because yeah. I, I remember we were talking about the situation here that was pretty different from the rest of Europe, so... Yeah. And then <laughs> I want to say you infected us <laughs> with no, the situation <laughs> with the situation that became the same. You know, I can't believe it's been two years. The the way I, I a lot of people say that, you know, time has lost all meaning and all of that. The way I, that puts it the most in perspective for me is uh my son, who's gonna turn four in a couple of months, meaning oh, wow. he was two when the real, you know, the pandemic started, he was two. So half his life has been during the pandemic. Oh, it's, my God. It's crazy, right? I mean, it feels like, I don't it know. It is. Yeah. It, anyway, we'll talk about this more, I'm sure. But let me introduce the second guest, uh, Norman from Malaysia, who is, I'm very glad to be welcoming on the show. Hey, Norman, how's it, how's it going? No, doing good. Um, just listening into the banter between the both of you, I'm expecting to be uh, be part of a really fun conversation. So excited to be here. And I am doing pretty well, life in general and stuff around me in Malaysia. So happy well, to be here. You know, anytime anyone says, oh, things are doing pretty well nowadays, we're all just happy by like osmosis. We, we absorb the happiness because uh, everything is so dark, it seems everywhere else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for being on. You know, I joke actually, at least for me, things are not so bad. I already live like a recluse anyway, uh, and I have a good internet connection. That's all you need in life. Anyway, you, you just connect to people with the internet and you'll be fine. Um, <laughs> so, Norman, um, as I mentioned, we know Alexandro a little bit, Alessandro a little bit, and uh, hopefully by now people listening to the show know me a little bit, but we don't know you. Uh, can you introduce yourself to the audience, please? Yeah, sure. So... Oh, man, the many different angles uh, where I can introduce myself by. So I, I guess, like, professionally speaking, I run a podcast company. I consult people in podcasting, etc. So as you can tell, I'm kind of used to being behind a mic, just being able to 
stay quiet and listen, being able to see these podcasts grow and seeing all these ecosystems growing all over the place. That's like my role throughout the day. And in my spare time, I write fiction, I dance, I do all sorts of creative expressions. But most of all, I talk to people. So just like yourself, Patrick, I really adore being behind a microphone, being able to talk to people. Um, coming from a childhood where I grew up living in multiple countries. So like I'm Malaysian by birth, indigenous Malaysian. So um, from Borneo Island, one of the uh, native tribes there, but the family moved over to Europe for a few years, came back and went to Australia and then went to Japan. And now I'm back here in KL. So the need to be able to resonate with another culture, to be able to understand our articulations, to be able to go down to the deepest bedrock layer of someone's expressions and their intent behind that is something that fascinates me and that's why i do what i do it it's a really interesting experience isn't it i think the mm. reason i i started the show initially was that having lived in different places i i witnessed how different things can be and even though you are told this in your life, you know, oh, there are different people, different walks of life, different, you know, countries, different cultures, whatever. When you actually live yeah. through it, it, it's very, very, um, it becomes real in a way that it isn't before. And that's something that I missed when I came back uh, closer to my home. I mean, I live in, in Finland now, not in France, but something that I missed and I, I felt is was a, a detriment to my I don't know how to put it exactly, but like it was a, a, a what's the opposite of, of broadening? It, it was like a tightening of my worldview mm -hmm. and, and that's a, a detriment, I think. Is it similar to just these constraints that are just brought into you, I guess, out, outside of your control? Maybe it's because of your circumstances, because I'm curious about since you are uh, living in Finland right now, I would you know, hazard a guess that you would notice these small moments, these key differences, but being able to move around the world and being able to witness these differences as a norm, like as something regular, you start to miss that. Uh, yeah. And maybe you start to like, you know, when we start to notice something or when we start to observe something or when we start to perceive something, it starts to first visualize as a potential threat to our growth as a, this kind of obstacle that we think, oh, this might stop me from from staying comforting, like being in a very comfortable position. But as people who have you know, moved to different countries or different places all the time, we sort of grow the best in peril as, as, you know, as most of mankind does through mm. wars and stuff like that. So you would think that, yes, it, it could be a, the opposite of broadening, but maybe these are constraints that we have to start being comfortable with and to embrace uh, and try to find out our own definition of broadening through that context. And I think, um, because I sort of, I'm sort of going through that now. Like mm. I wasn't, I'm, I'm Malaysian, but I only just came back to Malaysia like four years ago. So if you, you know, take the pandemic into perspective, <laughs> half of You've the time. You've been there two years. <laughs> yeah, been there two years, yes. Um, <laughs> and then you live in the, in, the, in the nation of your apartment as we all do. <laughs> yes. My my uh, the the only kingdoms around me are my kitchen and the living room <laughs> and the TV and it's it's not much like it's just right. the usual people around me so you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's I mean for me it was definitely uh, I think you know I've had different experiences throughout a big part of my life but going to live in Japan was the one that was the most enlightening because it, it's such a different culture and. Um, And going to different places, like, I don't know, if you live in somewhere in Europe, like, I don't know, in Western Europe, and you go to Northern Europe, it's not going to be like, it, you do feel some differences. But going to an entirely different, even when you move from, I don't know, uh, Europe to the US, again, there are differences, I'm not saying there aren't, but it's still essentially a, uh, uh, you know, Judeo-Christian base Uh, uh, civilization and when you move to well it happened for me when i moved to japan which is completely evolved completely separately um and i studied japan japanese and, and the country before so it's not like i didn't know what i was going to get into but it, it was a different story but um and that kind of understanding that something else can exist 
not just understanding, experiencing the fact that something else can exist was formative in a way that that discussing it and thinking about it and you know watching anime and and stuff from other cultures didn't <laughs> quite it didn't hit quite as hard actually it didn't hit at all it's it still feels foreign but immersing yourself into it is a is a very different experience but um anyway um yes yeah, so it's pretty cool to have to hear from different places and hopefully we give you a little bit of, a little bit of a taste of that and uh, thank you norman for being on thank you alessandro as well um who should we start with maybe um i i don't want to start myself because i talk too much uh but alessandro you've been on the show before you know how things go what's been happening in italy in general i don't even remember where you live in italy I live close to Venice. I'm okay. in the north, northeastern part of Italy. So, so and it, uh, the civilized part, not those barbarians in the south, right? I mean, you said it, not me. <laughs> I don't uh, want to have this kind of discussion because this is going to be this is going to end poorly if there are other Italians listening to the podcast. So, you know, it's it's really would... <laughs> funny. In France, it's kind of the same, even though the south of France is north is higher up north than Italy. The, the French are in the northern part, especially the capital, but still are, are very snooty uh, towards the, the southern area. Oh, maybe not snooty, but it's like, oh, they're loud and they're uh, a little bit, uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to yeah. put too many adjectives there, but at least they're loud and, and they make a lot of noise and they're very lively. And in the north, we're a little bit more contained and, and um, we behave better. It's funny that and that exists in in italy as well yeah one one of the things that it's amazing when especially when i'm talking to my uh friend from the u.s um, say or something like that uh our our countries are really different in the span of a really short distance like if you uh if you move like 100 kilometers from where i am you could start uh having to listen to a completely different dialect or mm people talking a completely different language almost which is kind of amazing to me but you know uh, yeah. it's interesting uh, I, maybe it's it's a star a more stark difference than than it, there is in france i actually don't know italy at all i've been to rome once and what i remember mm -hmm. is the ice cream and that was delicious yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the churches but anyway sorry uh, <laughs> go ahead what's been happening I mean, I think last time I've been on the podcast, it was uh, around one year ago. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things have changed. Uh, I don't want to talk about the pandemic too much because it's all I've been talking about every time I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> but we've been making progress. Uh, you've got your vaccinations, you've got your restrictions and everything. One funny story I wanted to mention that uh, came up like... Um, a week ago, I guess, is, is that uh, you probably know how the um, green certificate for the European Union works, right? The, uh, not specifically. Um, I know it's interconnected between the different countries, but it's, you mean the, it, it, the it, health pass? Yeah. How's it called? Yeah, the health pass. Yeah. I don't know how it's called in the rest of Europe, sorry. Mm. And basically, uh, there's been some kind of rest more restriction in, in more restrictions in Italy for that specific pass and so uh, it happened that a guy went to a vaccination center and asked asking for uh, to be vaccinated uh, showed up to, to the appointment and whenever it was time to get his vaccine he showed his shoulder and he had a fake arm a fake card a, a fake arm oh <laughs> what <laughs> yes uh i i've seen that this uh this kind of made uh a little trip around the world as a as news so i didn't know okay. if you if you or norman heard about it but i guess it was funny to just no, talk about I, it we we've you know there's there's stories about weird things happening with vaccines and mostly it's people fa uh, having fake cards you know people yeah. Who, yeah, yeah. who don't want to get vaccinated. But overall, uh, we talked about it a little bit last week, last uh, month. And um, 
most people in France, well, not most, but I think we're at like 85% vaccination rate if you account for the people who can get vaccinated, maybe even higher. So there's still people who don't want to, but it's a minority now. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I, I just thought it was funny because I, I <laughs> saw harm. that I, I, I saw that on my on my Facebook feed and then I was like, huh. I hope my my friends from around the world don't hear about this. And sure enough, like three days no. later, I get I get a ping in Discord saying, "Hey, is this you?" <laughs> no, <laughs> I got my booster shot. <laughs> so you got the the third one or the second yes. one? Third one. I got okay. the third one. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to start thinking about uh, how it works for to get the third one here. Um, okay, so uh, aside from COVID, I understand uh, it's not your. Your main topic. Yeah, no. Aside from that, I have uh, actually uh, some some very fresh news because I was thinking about. Uh, I, I got uh, your your email asking me to to come on the podcast, and then I was think thinking about something to talk about. And sure enough, we got a pretty interesting piece of news in the in the in the media. And do do you guys know anything about? Uh, Patrick Ducky. About what? No. Patrick Patrick Ducky. Mm, I do not. Uh, Patrick Ducky is um is an Egyptian uh, student who was studying at the University of Bologna in Italy, who has been detained in Egypt since the start of 2020. Who has been he the was, what? Sorry. He has been uh, detained. He's been arrested oh. in Egypt, and uh, it was basically a very um, a, a very arbitrary arrest, according to most uh, most of the world, and uh, uh, apparently um, the reason why he was arrested there was is that because it, it was because um, he had some he was supposedly doing some propaganda for some minority for some uh, progressive um, politic figures. In uh, in Egypt, mm. and he was just going back to. Uh, he, he's been studying in Italy, but he went back for uh, to visit his family in uh, in Egypt, and he was arrested at the start of 2020. Apparently, uh, according to Amnesty International as well, um, he's also been tortured. Mm. And. Uh, it was just it put some some tension between uh, uh, Italy and Egypt and Egypt and the uh, uh, worldwide um, activists and things like that. And it's been like uh, it's been something that's been going on for a while. Uh, his his trial has been postponed and postponed and postponed, and he's been. Arrested in prison uh, up until like uh, for almost two years now, and yesterday uh, the news broke out in Italy that he actually was released. He hasn't been declared not guilty guilty on his imputations, but one of the things that were that the um, Italian society was angry about. I don't know how best to put it. Was that he was being um, he he has been he was he had been arrested without a, a fair trial. He was just there. He was just kept there. And a lot of people, a lot of associations were crying for uh, for him to be freed. And literally yesterday, there was uh, an announcement was made where he was not declared not guilty, but at least he was allowed to be freed from prison. And and mm. I guess it's a step in the right direction because um, is he is he going back to Italy? I think he is. Mm. I'm not really sure. I I have to say I haven't been a hundred percent focused on this particular piece of uh, piece of news, but um, I I assume he's coming back to Italy. He's mm. been given a, a honorary Italian citizenship uh, earlier this year. Oh wait, so I, I thought he was Italian. Why, why was no. Italy so concerned with it? He is Egyptian. 
but he's a student in at the University of Bologna. Oh, Bologna oh okay, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, okay, I missed that. I see. And like there there are some there is a, a program in, in Europe that is called uh, the Erasmus program that lets other uh, that's students from Europe and around the world to study in big uh, Italian and European universities. So he was basically uh, under the protection of Italy, mm -hmm. even though he wasn't really Italian. And uh, with this happening, uh, of course, the, the situation soured with uh, b between uh, Italy and Egypt. Of course. Italy and Egypt have, have a kind of a history uh, about this kind of stuff because this uh, a similar thing happened in the past as well with the case of uh, Giulio Regeni. And so things haven't been going great between the two between the two places but at least we have something now. Uh, mm. At least we are moving a little forward. It's interesting, you this. know, it, it's the kind of thing where you would think, because you said there's international, uh, uh, I, I don't think you used the word outrage, but you said it was training to relationships, but I haven't even really heard about this and it's been going on for a while. It feels yes. sometimes that as tensions rise, sometimes you think, oh, but this can't go on because it's such a, a, a loud case. And really, people who aren't directly involved don't really care. I think we make yeah. a lot of noise about the, the, you know, the Americans only caring about America. And certainly, you know, I'm sure they do. But it's kind of the same for everyone else. No, that's that's so. absolutely right. That's yeah. absolutely right. And that's why I thought that this would be an interesting thing to talk about here. Mm. Because I, I didn't know if you or Norman would have heard about this, but it's known. kind of a big deal here in Italy. So What about you, Norman? That... Had you heard about Patrick Zaki? No, I've not heard of it. Although yeah. I understand the... the you know, like the, the amplification when one of our fellow countrymen are, you know, they're under fire for something or they're in trouble and uh, all of a sudden there's this huge, I, I don't want to take those semantics where you say outrage, but rather there's this sudden movement or this um, this desire for some level of activism for justice. Uh, well, justice in a very subjective definition. Mm. Um, we have that a lot as well in Malaysia. Uh, so I can see that, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see that there's some level of resolution there, although I can't really say the same for my own country, but that's a topic for later on, probably in the conversation. Um, the the thing is, I have a feeling the reason why we normally default to Americans as the example is because Americans are definitely the most, I don't want to say loudest, but loud. The most, <laughs> I, I, yeah, okay. I'm just gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna, I, I was I, thinking the, the same loudest. word. Uh, yeah, I think now you, you can say it just by virtue of that. I was trying to be polite. <laughs> I was trying to be polite. Um, I wanted to say explicit in terms of their intentions. Like they really wanted to have everything written down, um, shouted out loud on social media, uh, any form of emotional investment, um, whether someone is emotionally charged or not, or whether they are morally, how we say, hurt or threatened. Mm. They feel like they suddenly gained this power to want to say something, to add to the conversation, whatever the conversation may be, um, whether it's justice for a specific person or this, you know, maybe it's something racial, whatever it is, or some form of international relations, um, which, as we can see from recent U.S.-China conversations, but that's for something else. Um, I, yeah, you know, that that's sort of like a, a default I see whenever we scale it out to nation states, and all of a sudden, it feels like when we see this one, this one situation it almost feels like it's indirectly pointing it at us as well. So we start to feel compelled to want to add to that, whatever the outrage may be. So, yeah, it's it's quite dangerous, really. I don't really subscribe to that kind of thinking. Yeah, yeah um, so hopefully things will improve there. And uh, I, I guess what we can hope for is that he he's allowed to... Uh, go back to Italy but <laughs> I guess if they're yeah. if they're freeing him then they want this to end quietly they're not all of a sudden gonna re-arrest him I wouldn't think but uh, we'll see 
it's also a, a, a kind of a warning shot, I guess, that is quite efficient when, when you arrest someone. And even if you free them afterwards, it, it makes other people who might want to do the same thing think twice uh, about that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Anyway, um, Norman, what's been happening in Malaysia, which um, we've had a, a, a people from Malaysia before on the show, but I'm mm. very curious to hear um, things more recent. Yeah, hopefully I don't overlap too much with previous guests, but minus the the COVID activities or interventions, <laughs> we've been doing pretty to okay. Be, to be honest, um, that's just... our main uh, conversation when we talk about anything. <laughs> so. Yeah, but I have a feeling a lot of people want to chime in so that they can escape from thinking about COVID, but here mm-hmm. we are. So, <laughs> um, but at least in Malaysia, it's a little bit more optimistic because of a lot of the uh, phases and their reactions to specific lockdowns um, of rising cases. But luckily, yes, there were there was some phases in the past, like one year plus, where there was a rise. But overall, if you just look at the average, it's been gradually declining, which is great. Although I'm not sure if the data I'm looking at is like accurate or anything like that. Maybe we, you never know, but mm. I'm going to say. So you're not, you're not freaking out about the new variants and stuff like that. It's not the main topic of conversation everywhere. No, not at the moment. Although there has been more articles picking up the, on the mm. Omicron variant, but it's not to the point where there is a, it, we're not at the point where there's an emergency. So whenever I'm looking, you know, driving around the city or when I'm walking about, people are still behaving the same way. People are still acting the same way. People are still mm. attending events, um, going to shops and all of that. So I, the only potential reaction or action that they might take is that they may have stricter criteria in you entering the premises if you are, say, at risk. Because I'm not sure how it is for for maybe Italy or in Finland. Um we have an app that basically it's a bit like black mirror you just have this like one app that <laughs> that dictates whether or not you can go into a house or or uh, or a shop or whatever um with a qr code that basically it just tells people if you're at risk or if you're a high risk individual which is kind of scary but so far it's been working so uh, i can't so really it's complain so it's anyways. essentially the one that says if you have been vaccinated of or if you have uh, been tested recently enough that you are green on the on the health test right that's yeah and yeah. there's so a the recent check-in history yeah okay right. all right so yeah. it's more it's, or less it's the, same. Yeah. the same yeah it's uh yeah yeah i think every country has been adopting that kind of thing okay yeah. okay that's good so i'm not i'm not freaking out about black mirror being real right? okay <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, that aside, yeah. um, to an extent but it's real for everyone i guess is the the kind of the, the thing that will make it okay but that was that's what makes it scary because when things like this become normalized, that's when we get a little bit potentially dystopian. You never know. I mean, it's just something I've been thinking about because no, it is. Yeah. If yeah, if if COVID persists, which I'm I I personally assume that it will, because of all the variants coming in, etc. Um, then such apps become mandatory in society. Uh, such protocols become second nature. It's almost like breathing. Uh, like kids would be growing up with masks all the time, etc. And they would think that, oh, they can never leave the house without a mask, you know, that sort of thing. Like how uncomfortable would you be if you're walking around without a mask? That's a potential thought that someone might have. So yeah. it's the normalization of behavior that really scares me. And I know that it's, you know, for the purposes of trying to prevent all this from spreading. But goodness me, it's affecting my psyche. And, <laughs> you know, like you said, I completely within, understand, uh, yeah. recluses. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely understand. But, but, and it is, I think, something that is important to care about and to uh, notice. Um, of course, the, the alternative being, uh, you know, we all die. It's at the moment yeah. we have to worry about the initial emergency and then we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think this is, you're right, the, this kind of app at least in our countries, we've had very strict uh, control by uh, constitution, constitutional uh, 
bodies and uh, the parliament that have to authorize the use of those tools and they have to renew it every six months or so. And maybe at some point it will be made permanent. It seems like so far um, the judicial system in place is making sure that those things aren't, you know, just don't become the norm yet, maybe. But the image you're giving of moving around without a mask is very striking. I think we might come back to if the the you know pan- pandemic ever ends, we might come back to a more quote unquote normal situation. But at the moment, yeah, the the thought of moving around without a mask is kind of uh, stressful. It's anxiety inducing, and um, and uh, two years ago. We were scoffing at people who were wearing masks. We're like, ha, you silly Asians wearing your masks when you have a flu. Ha, we don't need that. Just thumping that we were. And it was, and now it's like, oh, I don't want to go anywhere without my face covered because I'm scared. They it's... were laughing back at you, but you can't hear the laugh because we're wearing masks already. So you, just, <laughs> you just hear this like muffled, like weird sound. <laughs> so it's not even yeah, clear. Essentially, yeah. But here we are suffering. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but setting aside the uh, the COVID situation, because most of these are just you know coping mechanisms for trying to cope with the fact that all of this is still at risk. You know, mm-hmm. um, I do want to bring in something more recent uh, within Malaysia, a little bit of justice, uh, I should say, on a more positive note. So we've had this, um, there was this really corrupted state fund called 1MDB, and it's a scandal where a former prime minister just took a whole bunch of money from the country and just went on a full-on wanton destruction with all this power, whether it's you know political, financial, etc. And this former prime minister was charged with, I think, seven charges and set to execution, if I remember correctly. Let me just read this properly. So great timing since we're recording this. As of 12 hours ago, the former prime minister, Najib, um, is guilty on all seven charges proven beyond reasonable doubt. So... Let's just say that took quite a number of years and a whole pandemic uh, to catch a guy uh, who was seated at the highest highest seat of power uh, and gain a whole bunch of money, a whole bunch of power, and try to... I I don't want to be too explicit and say run the country down to the ground, but it's something along those parallels in terms of analogies. This guy went full on uh, in terms of where where he was going to exert uh, his influence. And so wait, what, was... what did he do? Can you give us examples? Sure. Uh, let me see if I can just read it up really quickly because I don't want to misquote mm. the... Um, okay, I don't want to misquote the actual scandal. Okay, so for anyone listening in, you can just type the le- the number and the letters 1MDB and you can get the entirety of the scandal in one uh, summary, which stands for the One Malaysia Development Berhad or the One Malaysia Development uh, Company or Corporation, which is ironic because they didn't really develop the country. So it's <laughs> kind of like a hypocritical name. Uh, it's a fund set up in 2009 to turn the capital into a financial hub and boost the economy. Uh, it did not boost the economy <laughs> because it started missing payments for uh, some of the total of 11, $11 billion dollars it owed to banks and bondholders. So they checked the paper trail and it turns out that a large fragment of that 11 billion um, was then tied to cases of money laundering, channeling hundreds of millions of dollars into private pockets um, and acquiring assets globally, such as physical assets like paintings, real estate, jewelry, yachts, uh, all over the world. Uh, It ended up involving the US Department of Justice so I think wow. they brought the numbers where it's like $4.5 billion have been diverted away from developing Malaysia and then into someone's yacht or someone's Lamborghini. And if I remember correctly, it was also related to another corrupted individual named Joe Lowe, 
who bought a Lamborghini for Kim Kardashian, I believe. And then they found out that it was, and then they found out that that, that car was bought with corrupted money. So they had to like, you know, <laughs> give the car away. And it was a really crazy, funny story about that. Although it's not really exactly funny because that's, you know, that Lamborghini was paid with taxpayer money. So that's a bit mm-hmm. uh, sad. But the person who allowed this kind of activity to happen um, was this former prime minister named Najib Razak, who we just call him Najib now. And he himself pocketed $700 million from the fund that he himself set up. So that's a large percentage for one person. (laughs) And once, you know, once people like once it involved the DOJ, people were like, oh, this is a lot more intense than we thought it was or that there was just some level of ignorance because $11 billion not being completely clean was somehow not picking up or giving anyone a, a form of alarm that there was something wrong in the country. Uh, so so once the U.S. had some intervention, then they found out that this was, you know, all this was happening and um, there was a huge raid to seize a whole bunch of assets like $270 million in luxury goods and cash from all over the place, especially within Najib's premises and his family. And he was detained, um, brought, um, confined to his premises at home. And, and it was only recently, I think just right before the pandemic that he was going to, um, he was going to go to trial and there was a ton of delays on trial. And uh, and within the political seat of power, there was a coup that happened, a coup d'etat that that happened. So the prime minister at that time got his seat of power taken out by another party. And then right before he was that new prime minister was going to come in, going to swear in, the pandemic happened. So mm. everything was on pause. So after a, after like a year plus of lockdowns, etc. So now we're in 2021. The new prime minister that we have now is is supposedly from the same party as this Najib person, mm. this former prime minister. But, but I'm not going to make any quotes I, I, here. I swear, <laughs> I'm better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? It's just like, no, it's it's not me. I'm a different person. Uh, and and he, let's just say that, you know, he's trying his best, although there were some less than effective uh, decisions and solutions, but I'm not mm. going to, I'm not going to bring down right, someone that's who another, is yeah, that's another brought issue. with a better responsibility. Mm. But, for this specific former prime minister convicted of all these charges on laundering and fraud, etc. Yeah, as of today, he is proven with beyond reasonable doubt that he is guilty on all seven charges. So, so that's um, interesting. So, so wait a second. What what's going to happen to him? I am trying to is figure it, that. I mean, I, I uh, guess my question is: I guess he's going to either be in prison for a very long time. Or do you have the death penalty? Well, in these papers, it does not say death penalty, although it says stay of no, execution do, of 12-year jail term. So, okay, so far, right, it's just right. 12 years in jail. Okay. Yeah. So, but, I, but do you have the death penalty in the country, I guess, was my question. Yes, we do. Okay, right. Because we, have, we do have Sharia law. So, mm-hmm. Sharia law assumes death penalty for specific... Right. Um. Uh, for specific punishments, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this falls under, um, if this falls under that. Right. Okay. Yeah. That we, yeah, we we do have death penalty, but there there are there are different actions to try to abolish it. Although we still have a whole bunch of mm-hmm. different spectrums of capital punishment, so that's okay. close there. Yeah. <laughs> so, I I wonder how is the like how. Is that something that is uh, common? Like, how do people react to a, in this case, very high official being caught and condemned? Is it something that is common that happens all the time? Or is it like at last justice? Or do you usually trust your elected officials? And this was a surprise. I'm curious how the, the, you know, the country received that news or that uh, scandal. Sure. So before addressing that, in general, elected officials are seen with a certain level of skepticism, whether they are voted in, whether they are capable of doing their job, um, which party are they affiliated with. These all add up to an impression 
that would compel a lot of Malaysians to voice out their opinions, whether they are very emotionally charged opinions, whether they are you know hate comments or whatever it is. Uh, but when it comes to when it comes to trust in the government, uh, etc., uh, if you just look around social media in general, uh, definitely on you know, Facebook, it's not. Let, let's just say it's not as supportive as mm. you might think. It's you know, a bit it, like um, it's funny Paul you're Pop saying syndrome, if you know that. You're, you're saying you're saying oh you know it's not not everything you're saying sounds negative but so much better than what I would think people think of their elected officials here well here in France <laughs> in, in Finland it's it's much better but in France everyone hates everyone or that's what it feels like anyway because maybe because you hear the most vocal people but uh, yeah definitely same here yeah <laughs> I have to it, yeah. Yeah, it the the word hate is uh, thrown around around a lot. Um, maybe it's because I'm just so desensitized to it. That's how common it is mm. that as soon as there's another prime minister, the the thing is, the thing is when it comes to like when it comes to cultural dimensions within Malaysia, we have a strong power distance. So when we look at someone with a greater power distance, we look at them with a lot more distrust than potentially any other country in the same region. If someone has a lot more power than us. We don't look at them as a sign of respect or admiration. It's more like, what? How will they, with more power, threaten our position? So mm. anyone who comes in with a, you know, a larger party or larger, larger influence, whether political, financial, whatever, we're going to look at them and be like, oh, do you think you can help us? Or do you think you can serve us, etc. So um, therein comes, like, the reason why that kind of thinking, like, it's definitely you can see it all over the world. The reason why it's quite apparent here is because of past scandals and past corruptions and past activities that were brought to light but never sent to justice. So to answer your previous question there, um, it is definitely not common for someone who once they were brought to trial were to be served justice. That mm. almost never happens. So to see something like this, you can say it's almost like a celebration. Right. So yeah, that's, that's what I was it's, getting it's quite at, a I guess, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we haven't heard about this. So, uh, yay. And uh, it's, it's something <laughs> that we have not heard about at all. Um, all right. I guess I'm gonna, we're going to close off the show with my story. Um, and the main one is going to be from France this time. Um, it's the fact that uh, Eric Zemmour, the, who was... Okay. All right. Let me get back for a second. There's a journalist called Eric Zemmour. Um, he's a, a pundit, a political pundit, and he's been uh, become more and more and more controversial over the last few years. He was like a uh, the right wing commentator on a, a 24 hours news channel. They had a like debate show uh, daily or weekly i don't even remember uh debate show and he was like the right-wing guy uh a few years ago and he was you know uh fairly reasonable uh in his comments i i think some people might take issue with with that description to be honest i didn't watch him very much or at all but he's been around for i don't know a decade or two maybe two is too much but at least i would say a decade um and he's become over the past three or four years um more and more visi uh, visible because he's become more and more extreme in his views and what he was saying and uh there's been for the past six months, I would say, the speculation that was pretty much a given that he would be a candidate for the presidential election that will uh, take place in six months in France, in May 2022. And he just last week, I believe, officially announced uh, that he was in the running for uh, the presidency. And... He did it with a video that is available on YouTube and, you know, very widely circulated, of course, because he's become something I should mention. Um, he wasn't in the running yet, but everyone assumed he was going to announce and he was being 
polled against in the uh, you know in the the early polls for the presidency for the, the the election and he was getting like second place essentially second or third place um i believe above marine le pen who came in second last time in 2017 um and she is the 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 far right <clears throat> apologies he, she's the far right representative that is the traditional face of the far right in France Zemmour has kind of it, it's it he's eating into her um base but at the same time he it seems has a much stronger dynamic behind him than she ever did which is maybe not than she ever did but than she does now which is not necessarily uh, uh, surprising because very often these uh, figures take the mantle of the you know anti-system person, and he, she has been part of the system kind of for a while, and so a lot of people kind of look at her and say, well, she didn't really do anything for us, so she's not what we want anymore. On the other hand, um, his video, the announcement video, is, it's pretty horrendous. Um, it's, he is essentially uh, maybe the, the run-of-the-mill European uh, populist uh, far-right candidate. He's not, he's not angry or... He doesn't inspire violence quite in the way you might think of, but he's he seems very spiteful. And, okay, one way to put it is he's essentially Donald Trump without the clown factor, which is a big part of Donald Trump, so I don't know how That's well like that describes it. That's like 95%. Person. Yes. Of- that, <laughs> but, but he's on the same line, I would say. You know, he's... Um, he is on the far right with blaming um, foreigners for all of our ills. But beyond that, that's common. What he pushes very, very strongly is this idea that France used to be great. And it's kind of make, you know, make America great again, or this this kind of feeling. But France used to be great. And you have this feeling, this knowledge inside of you. Things were glorious. And we have a, 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 a glorious country and history and culture. But you feel like it's been, it's being destroyed by the, the those people the the feminists and the woke people and the you know it's it's all that rhetoric of this weird nostalgia for a, a time that doesn't really exist that is something you cling to when you don't understand what's happening around you and it's speaking, evidently, it's speaking to a lot of people. And he's using footage of like, you know, he says, oh, and look at our, um, look at our suburbs now. And he's using images of like riots and stuff and, and people fighting the police, which, you know, it happens, of course. There are things like that. It's not like it didn't happen 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and he's like, oh, and, and, so he shows the suburbs like this, and then he says, "Oh, and in France we have a rich history of of um, you know culture and science." And then he will show you pictures of historical figures of like as if it means anything. Like he's completely uh, populistic in in showing things that people want to believe that have no basis in re- like all. All politicians do that to an extent, but populists do it in, it's almost cheating with with sentiment and over simplifications. And, and yeah, so he's playing on that very much. And at the same time, you know, I understand that there are some people who feel, 
displaced in their own country in the sense that they don't understand what's happening around them. Like, they're seeing a lot of people saying, oh, everything's going to shit for from every part of the political spectrum, like on the on the right and on the left. Everyone's always saying everything's going to shit. Uh, you know, every nothing that any president does, again, from the right or from the left, is ever acceptable. Everything's always crap. Everything's always the, the worst possible decision. And I think that installs a climate where someone like Eric Zemmour is, it becomes, maybe it has nothing to do with it, but it feels to me like when he then says, oh yeah, you don't understand anything that's happening around you and everything's going to shit, people are like, but believe it. Because that's what they've been told by everyone, right or left, or maybe not center, but right or left, for decades at this point. And so when he says, you know, oh, you don't understand, like, the feminists don't want you to use pronouns and the, they don't want you to, that's standard, you know, rhetoric from populists. It's all the same. What we heard from Trump, what we hear from all of them, but in a, in a package that is less clowny less like he seems like a serious person and he seems like um he seems like someone who knows what he's talking about and who understands things like he's a a pundit who isn't like a, a, a pundit who will yell at every I, actually i haven't watched him for a very long time so maybe he's turned into that i don't know but in the way he speaks feels like he's he understands the way you feel, if that makes sense. Um, he's not making anything up new that you didn't already feel. He's just harnessing the feeling that some people have about society and saying, you're right. That's how it is, and that's why it's like that, and I can fix it. Or actually, you know what? He doesn't really delve into how to fix it so much. <laughs> He's just saying, that's why you feel the way you do. And the the funny thing is that essentially what he's doing is, is looking at those disenfranchised people and telling them, you matter, you're valid. You know, I understand you and I care about you. And join me and we're going to do something about it. And the fact that, you know, what he says is fabricated and the feelings that those fe people are feeling are, are based on misunderstandings very often uh, of reality doesn't really matter anymore because he's, he's gotten them on board. Um, now, I don't think he's going to get the presidency in 2022. Um, I think he speaks to a part of the population that is that has already been unhappy um and a lot of people understand what the extremism and the populism of that uh type of character is um but we'll see i don't know what's going to happen um it, the, the big question i guess is is he eating into the votes of other similarly minded populists or is he gaining the votes of people who wouldn't have voted for those people before? I think it's the former. I think he might get to the second turn, to the runoff, um, the way Marine Le Pen did last time. Um, I don't think he will win, though, but we'll see. It's a, it's a pretty big event because he's a new player coming out of nowhere. And, uh, well, not quite nowhere, but almost nowhere. He wasn't in the political arena before. And um, and he's changing things, especially on the on the right and the far right. He might get some people from the right uh, to vote for him as well, I guess. But um, yeah, that's that was the last week uh, or the last couple of weeks for France, and it's it's not shocking because everyone knew he was going to announce. But at the same time, it's the confirmation of something that is a little bit like, Ish. all right, here we go again. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a whirlwind of of more developments then until 
until the elections in January. You said, what is there like a specific date for it? Or yeah, it's in May um, actually. It's a, the election is in, in May, May. Okay. so we have six months left. Um, and uh, yeah, but but I think he, I I guess he's a he's a figure that we have in every country, but he's somewhat different from Marine Le Pen. For those who know who she is. She, he's a little bit different. He's not as, I don't know. He feels a little bit different. I don't know how different he is from other figures. Again, if you look at Boris Johnson, you see someone who's not a very serious person, at least, you know, from the outside. Trump, same thing. And in Eastern Europe, you have a lot of um, people who are on the far right who feel Again, from the outside, it's probably a, a caricature, but who feel like would-be dictators a little bit. Who aren't just on the far right, they're like a little bit would-be dictators. He doesn't feel like that. He feels like a politician who has extreme far-right ideas, but he feels like a politician. He has this like grandpa, grandpa or granduncle air to him. Um... I don't know. He's there's something I can't quite place, and maybe that's a factor that will push him further than others. I think it's very interesting that you mentioned this because I think that, especially in Western Europe, uh, in the last five years or so of politics, we've been witnessing a rise in those um, political figures that um, use uh, populism as a device to gain. Uh, um, popularity, I guess. Yeah. And I can say that something like this is basically happening at the same time in Italy because we've, we've had some kind of figure on the right side of the political spectrum rise in the last three or so years. And then after a lot of stuff happened, the, the government was uh, went, went down, it got back up, we have currently a technical government with a prime minister that was not appointed, that was appointed right directly by the uh, president of the republic. So it's kind of a kind of a weird, weird situation right now. But again, at the same time, we've had uh, as well a figure on the on the right side of the political spectrum, maybe far right, that's kind of filling in a void. That's just mm. uh, striking at the heart of a specific um, part of the population without being extremely clownish, without being extremely um, uh, Trump. You, you, you put the, the name there, I will, I will use it as well. Mm. Uh, but there is some... There are uh, definite, definite similarities with it. Like I've, uh, one of the most famous things was that um, Italy is trying to move towards a more uh, like when it comes to um, the, the gender of the parents of a child, uh, you're used to saying mother and father, right? Of course. But at the when you're talking about uh, adoptions, and sometimes you can have uh, gay couples adopting a child, uh, this doesn't fit anymore. So Italy is trying to move to uh, to a place where, uh, at least for legal documents, the you're using parent number one and parent number two, right, for for this kind of stuff, and this has been one of the most um, used. Um, things in their kind of propaganda. So it's it's interesting seeing that at the same time in similar places of the world, the, the politics uh, is shifting towards the same, uh, I don't know, uh, on, on the same side, I guess, because um, there wasn't all this kind of animosity towards the uh, some, some specific ideas like five or ten years ago. Yeah, it's it's know. definitely that, that's exactly the kind of thing that irks him, or at least he pretends to be irked by um, to conquer his his base. 
um, that kind of thing is is exactly that. Like he would, in those circles, you would hear like, oh, but you know, it's a mother and a father and a man and a woman. And it's the kind of thing that they were against uh, gay marriage and they still are against it. But, you know, it's, I, I think maybe if I want to look at it with a positive light, I guess, um, it's because society is changing maybe at a faster pace than it had before. And and some people feel not just left behind, but just like they don't recognize things. So they're disoriented and they they feel out of place. That's a, an imagery he uses a lot. You, you feel like you're not in France anymore. Um, you feel like the country you knew a couple of decades ago has disappeared and you wake up one day and you don't know where you are. And those kind of things play into it, I think. You're like, but wait a second, it's a mother and a father, not parent whatever. You know, that's the kind of thing that would play into it exactly. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was just agreeing with you. Uh, I, I mean... <laughs> I like when people agree with me. Um, it's it's funny as well because he was born in in Algeria and he's uh, Jewish and you know he, he I think there's I, I, or, or at least that's you know yeah anyway he so he feels like someone who can say oh look I'm not a racist you know I, I think I, I would guess. Again, I don't know exactly what he says about those things, but yeah. Anyway, so so it's going to be an interesting um, an interesting election next year, especially because uh, Macron, um, Emmanuel Macron, the current president, um, is going to, of course, be a candidate again. And I don't know if it's the circles I move in. I, I you know I frequent, but I, I everyone seems to hate him. Um, he's according to anyone I hear, he's never done a good job about anything in the past five years. Um, and there were some disappointments, I think, but you know, like with every political figure, and some things definitely were not what I was hoping for. Um, but according to some people, it's like, it's what I was talking about earlier, you know, everyone hates everything, it feels like. And the left has no credible candidate. They're a complete joke since they lost, you know, uh, last time. They weren't on in the runoff. They haven't been able to regain control on their, um, on their, party and their image and their candidates. The right, the traditional right, has moved to the right so much that it's almost the far right. And so a lot of their base is going to go to Zemmour. There's essentially no traditional right wing. Maybe actually um, the, the, the Macron's party represents it better than the right itself. Um, even though by most standards in outside of France, he would be just considered a, you know, a, a social democrat, like traditional center um, political party. But what I'm trying to say is, the the in the past, before Macron's election, there was an established order for 30, 40, 50 years since the end of you know the the last uh, republic. And now, none of those actors are in the running, really. It's all new people. It's essentially Macron and the far right, and a little bit on the far left. And so, no one knows what's going to happen. We, and, and there are a lot of people who are, like, who are saying Macron and the people like him are what is making the rise of the far right possible. Um, which I could get into, but I won't hear. It would take too long. But the bottom line is, I, I actually, I disagree with that assessment. But the, the bottom line is, we don't know what's going to happen in 2022, in 2022. So we'll see. Ah, I'm a little bit depressed now. I, I <laughs> want to think it's going to go well, but... 
<laughs> we'll see. Anyway, thank you so much to both of you for uh, letting us know about what's happening in your corners of the world. Uh, before we leave, could you please let us know where we can get more from you um, if the listeners want to uh, hear about what you're doing? Alessandro first, I guess. Uh, are you? I, sorry, I forget. You're on Twitter, right? I'm on Twitter. I never tweet, but if you want to find me there, <laughs> I'll be happy to do so. Excellent. We'll put the links, the link in the show notes uh, for you. your Twitter account. Norman, what about you? I'm on Twitter and I tweet a lot, actually. Like I have to say, I'm quite a chronic Twitter addict. I think it's it's kind of scary how I've only just started being active on it maybe last year or something, and now it's like the first thing I do in the morning, which is pretty sad. Uh, yeah, so careful, it's uh, dangerous. Said, it's dangerous. I've been doing yeah. that for a few years. Yeah, it, it, it's um, it's a different kind of fun. You you really have to really discipline yourself in terms of yeah. the 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 line between uh it being unhealthily addicting and um nourishing <laughs> for the soul is a very fine one so yeah i'm at uh at norman Chella, but i think you'll just put my yeah my uh the link to that uh in the show notes of course Totally. Thank you very much to both of you. For me, it's not Patrick on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. You have the links to everything I do at notpatrick.com. And uh, I think that is about it. Uh, thank you very much again to both of you for being on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will talk to you soon. Bye. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.